Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back. Welcome in to Country Roads Confidential. That's right. It's Chris Anderson talking here, not Mr. Mike Sazza. Uh, his doctor has informed me that he is, in fact, not carrying this podcast today. Instead, I have replaced Mike with another Michael. Michael Swain of Cyclone Alert, our Iowa State site on the uh, 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports Network. Michael, how are you? I'm doing great. Been a, a busy start to the week, but excited for another uh, big football game here on Saturday. Yeah, uh, you have been covering Iowa State uh, this season. You, um, as we talked about a little before we got on here, uh, the usual Iowa State start to the season, the usual resurgence. What has that been like? What has changed over those last couple of weeks or last few weeks since that rough couple uh, games to start the year for Iowa State? Man, if you checked in on the cyclone or message boards after the Iowa game, the sky was falling. Um, it was not good. And I think the way that Iowa State played early in the season, it didn't leave you super encouraged for their long-term ability. Brees Hall didn't look great to start the year. You know, Brock Purdy didn't have his best games, you know, against uh, Iowa there. And so I think in general, you kind of were concerned about them early on in the season. And then sure enough, October hits and they start to look really good again. I think a part of it is this team just kind of found a rhythm early in the season. Defense played really well. The offense didn't play well at all. They were really banged up to start the year. Um, I mentioned that in our our kind of VIP Q&A piece that, you know, Charlie Kohler missed a little bit of fall camp with an ankle injury. He missed the first game due to the injury. Brees Hall missed the final two weeks of fall camp due to an injury and then kind of looked really slow to start the season. So Brock Purdy didn't necessarily have a full complement of weapons and the offense didn't look great as a result. And so I think now you're seeing an offense that is healthy, that has found its offensive line after that group had a slow start to the season. And now it's kind of a team that's humming on all cylinders. And really the only thing that can derail them is special teams. You know, the offense is playing well, defense is playing well. It's just a question now of can they not allow points on special teams, which they've been able to do the last two weeks. Uh, Brock Purdy has been a thorn in my side of every prediction I think I've given for the last couple of years. Uh, when I think he's good, he's bad. When I think he's bad, he's good. What is it about him that makes him such a great quarterback? What is, what is he doing well right now <clears throat> that makes him, you know, an all-conference caliber player and likely a future NFL player? Well, I think it's fascinating the change you've seen in Brock Purdy from his kind of debut against Oklahoma State <clears throat> as a freshman, where in that game, more of a gunslinger, you know, making plays happen with his feet. Um, going to take some risks and, you know, some good things happened also through a good amount of interceptions as a freshman. And now I think as a senior, you're seeing a quarterback that you, that looks like a senior. He's not taking a bunch of risks. He is playing really efficient football and he isn't one that's really running the ball as much. I would say with his legs, he's going to run if he can scramble, get a first down like that, but they're carving up some designed runs to get him going. So I think if you look at Brock Purdy so far this season, I think the thing that stuck out to me most is the dangerous throws. So in years past, 
especially last season, there were times where Brock would throw it and you're like, Oh no, that should have been intercepted. And it was dropped. Um, something happened. And this year, I can't really remember the last time he had a throw that I was like, Oh Brock, that should have been picked. Um, and even you go to the Iowa game, man, I, I'm, I'm probably stubborn on this, but I don't think the Iowa game even was really reflective of Brock Purdy's performance. Yeah. He throws three interceptions, but two of the three are tipped. One of them hits off Xavier Hutchinson's hands and goes into the hands of a defensive back. Then he has another pass tipped by a defensive lineman at the line of scrimmage, probably on the offensive line there. And so I think so far this season, you know, he's thrown four interceptions, but three of them have been tipped. So I think in general, you're seeing a Brock Purdy that's not putting the ball in jeopardy, that is playing really efficient football. I mean, he's completing 75% of his passes and he's completed 80 plus percent of his passes in the last two games. So I think in general, he's playing the best football of his career, even better than that strong stretch at the end of last season. So I think he's really kind of raised the ceiling of this Iowa State offense so far this year. I think uh, West Virginia fans are pretty familiar with, a, a obviously, running back Brees Hall, Charlie Kohler at tight end. Somebody that I talked about a lot after the last game, uh, I, I very closely watched that game against Oklahoma State, and someone that really stood out was Xavier Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. Um, what does he bring as a wide receiver and as, an, as, as a receiving option, a weapon for Brock Purdy? Yeah, he's someone that brings a sense of physicality. I mean, if you've watched Iowa State in years past, you know that they love the big wide receivers. You know, Charlie Kohler is a big tight end. Chase Allen's a big tight end. Sean Shaw's a big wide receiver. And Xavier Hutchinson was a JUCO transfer. Um, They got him out of uh, Blinn College, I believe, uh, before last season. Had an up and down first season with the program, but this year has really been solid. I think for me, what he brings is someone that can catch a lot of these shorter to intermediate routes. Um, got a big body, decent hands. He does have games where they can, where he drops balls. You can look at that Iowa game. I think he had two drops in that game or passes hit off his hands. So he's someone that isn't necessarily going to run a four, four, but he's got enough speed to beat you deep. If you want to run like a streak, but they love running kind of these RPO slants. And if you watched that play that went viral of Hutchinson with that, that taunting flag, that was the play they love to run where it's just a short slant one-on-one man-to-man matchup and Xavier's too big and too quick and short area to where he can beat the defensive back. And then it's just a one-on-one tackle. And with his size, he's a tough guy to bring down. So he's someone that kind of does a little bit of everything for the offense, a good run blocker as well, but he's definitely like outside of Charlie Kohler, Xavier Hutchinson is Brock Purdy's favorite target. If you were the defensive coordinator for West Virginia, where, where do you, putting your emphasis on this week, where, where has Iowa state struggled when they have struggled so far in the season? Yeah, I think it's tough because I think if you're asking this question last year, I'd say make Brock Purdy beat you, but Oklahoma state tried that last week and Brock Purdy beat him. So I think if you're the West Virginia defensive coordinator, I think you're going to look to try to get pressure. Um, that's the big thing. I think with that West Virginia defensive front, you know, a lot of guys that are really good at sacking the quarterback. And I try to get Brock Purdy under duress where I think at times this season, even maybe in that, that Iowa game, once he got pressure, his eyes start to go down real quick where, you know, if he starts running for his life, that's when the mistakes start to happen. And so I think I try to put him under as much duress as possible. And by doing that too, you're likely going to stop Brees Hall because you're going to have so many guys in the box, so many guys active getting into the backfield that, you know, you're likely going to have success shutting down the run and then also creating pressure on Purdy. I think that's probably the route I'd go. Uh, Let's flip to the other side of the ball. A a lot of experience over there. I think uh, when Neil Brown was doing his press conference on Tuesday, 
he started rattling through the two deep and it was seniors, juniors, third year sophomores and the like. Um, are there any new guys? Let, let's start here. Are there any new guys on that side of the ball for this season that are making an impact? Yeah, it's interesting because they return, you know, what was it? 10 of 11 starters on defense. And yet now they've had a few guys emerge this season. Um, I think starting with the quarterback, TJ Tampa, he's someone that is you know, got real long arms, good length. Um, he was a high school basketball player and a high school wide receiver. He has a viral, if you look up his name, there's a real viral clip of him dunking and he looks like LeBron James just soaring through the air. So he's someone that has really, really good athleticism, but this is only his first year starting at cornerback. And he just started starting games. Uh, I think Baylor was his first start when big 12 play began. So he's someone that's young, you know, he's got all the intangibles. The staff is super high on his long-term potential, but it's one of those things where he just doesn't have a bunch of game reps. So teams have gone after him. Baylor had a lot of success against him. Oklahoma state had some success against him on Saturday. So he's one of the new faces on there. And then another one is the free safety uh, or I guess technically, you know, field safety for Iowa state, Kamani King, who was a cornerback last season, made the transition to safety before this year. He's a real big hitter but he's been a little banged up lately. He has a, one of those clubs on his hand. He had an interception against Kansas with the club, but he's missed some time in these recent games where now you're having kind of a, a red shirt freshman, Craig McDonald slide in and play on the boundary side. And they move Greg Eisworth, the three-time all big 12 safety over to the field. So I think those are probably the two positions where you've seen some youth come through, but outside of that, it's like you said, it's a lot of veteran guys. I guess well, since we're talking secondary, let's start back there. An interesting story for West Virginia fans uh, back there with Ashim Young. Has that been something that's talked about? Because he was a guy that was quite literally hours from committing. I mean, we would, we, he had already done a full interview with me uh, about a commit upcoming commitment and maybe even days from enrolling when the huge um, coaching change happened in West Virginia, obviously Dana Holgerson and that staff leaving. Neil Brown and everybody coming in. And I know that was part of the reason he ended up at Iowa state because of Matt Capone uh, ended up in Ames. What's his play been like? Has there been any mention of the, of the West Virginia almost, almost was not a ton. Now I'm thinking back over kind of the last 18 months, two years that I've been on the beat here, not a ton of the almostness with uh-huh. West Virginia. It is known that Matt Capone was kind of the big reason why, he got to Iowa state and Matt Capone's done a great job in Ames too, coaching up the cornerbacks that, you know, now they're starting to get a lot more of their guys in. Um, but his level of play, I, I said this a few times so far this season, but he's quietly put together a really solid year. You can look back to last season and he was a little inconsistent at times. He didn't start every game, but had the two targeting penalties, had a targeting against uh, Texas Tech. So we missed a little bit of the Oklahoma state game last year. Of course, second play of the big 12 title game gets ejected for targeting. Um, but we haven't seen that this year. He's got the big hit ability, but he's not really targeting having the crown of his helmet hit guys. So that's been a huge positive for Iowa state. But I think Aishin Young, honestly, is probably the linchpin of this defense. You look at last season, you know, he misses the half of the game against Oklahoma state. Chuba Hubbard goes crazy in the first half. He comes back and Chuba Hubbard gets shut down in the second half against Oklahoma. Their offense had a bunch of success really early on in the game when Ashim Young left. And then by the second half, they moved Greg Eisworth to star 
And that really helped things. So I think he's someone that's super important to defense, plays sideline to sideline, super explosive tackler, really good in the run game. I think his coverage has been pretty good this year. He got beat on Saturday, but in general, I think he has put together a really solid campaign. And we spent a lot of time with our media availabilities, with the coaches, with the players, you know, talking about some of the defensive front, some of the linebackers, but I don't think Aishim's got enough credit for his level of play this year because I think he's been spectacular. So is that role that he plays, is that kind of like the spear for West Virginia, like a safety that plays up in the box some? A little bit. So they call it the the star middle safety. Um, basically acts as almost like an extra run fitter, I think like you're alluding to. Um, but we'll also play kind of the single high coverage if they go cover one or the if they do cover three, he'll play the, the, the middle high safety there. So he does a little bit of both, but his athleticism, his physicality really allows him to have success kind of all over the field. Uh, moving up, moving up a level here uh, to linebacker. One of the first things I, I, I mentioned to you beforehand that I saw on the game notes was uh, Rose linebacker, 45 straight starts for Iowa state. And right on cue, you tell me yeah, maybe not that he's going to miss the game or anything, but that, that he's a little banged up right now. What's the latest with him? Yeah. It's been interesting to watch coming out of the bye week um, He seemed pretty healthy when they played at Kansas state two weeks ago. And then late on in the game, he left the game. And at the time I didn't think much of it. You're just kind of, okay, left the game. Like maybe it was a stinger or something, but then against Oklahoma state in like the first drive, second drive of the game, he has a big hit on someone and automatically like asked to come out of the game. And it looked like his right arm um, was just kind of dangling there. And you're like, uh Oh, like this isn't good but comes back in later on in the game and then re-aggravates it, does something on the second to last play of the game where that fourth down stop Iowa State had, Mike Rose wasn't on the field. And that's a big 12 defensive player of the year, the guy that leads the team in tackles right now. So that's a big thing. And so Matt Campbell said on Tuesday, it's a, a nerve issue is what he said. He didn't offer anything else other than that, said it's not structural, not like a tear or a break or anything, but just a, a nerve issue that he's dealing with. And he said he's very confident that Mike Rose will play. I think that starting streak will continue uh, on Saturday. It's just a question of kind of his snap count, because if you look at kind of what PFF does with the tracking, the snap counts, he played the least amount um, so far this season. If you exclude the UNLV game where Iowa state rotated everybody in throughout the course of the game. So that, that'll be something to watch how much Mike's able to play on Saturday. All right, moving up to the defensive line. Uh, Stout, you know, you asked me on, on, on your podcast, what was West Virginia's strongest point of the defense? And I said defensive line and rattled off three great starters. And I look at Iowa State's depth chart and I see three great starters. Is this the strength of Iowa State's defense? Yeah, I, I think so. It, it's so interesting because you look at kind of what they have and they've got, you know, an All-American in Mike Rose. They've got two solid starters in Orion Vance and Jake Hummel at linebacker. And then you look at the secondary, you know, Anthony Johnson is an All-Big 12 caliber guy. Greg Geisworth is a three-time All-Big 12 selection. But I still look at that defensive front, and they are really, I think, the the straw that almost stirs the drink for this defense where, you know, I think the underrated figure on that defensive front is Eni Razurike. This is someone that used that extra COVID year, has come back, and has just played spectacularly. I can't speak highly enough about what he's done. Starts off the season playing kind of the boundary defensive end position, Iowa State loses its nose guard, J.R. Singleton, um, for a few games, and he then slides inside as a 6'6", 320-pound guy. 
Um, I thought he played well against Linderbaum, the center from Iowa, who's arguably the best center in the country. So I think he's someone that is so good, powerful, doesn't necessarily have a bunch of speed, but he's powerful, has really good pass rush moves. So he's really good. Of course, Will McDonald, he's, if he gets a sack on Saturday, he'll become Iowa State's all-time sack leader. Um, and he'll surpass Jaquan Bailey, who set the record last season. He's someone that is really, really good in passing downs. You know, teams have chipped him, double teamed him. He's still able to get some sacks. And then another underrated guy, Zach Peterson, who plays kind of either one of those defensive end roles. Fourth year guy, played a lot of football for Iowa State, really strong. Um, he's someone that against Baylor, I thought had maybe one of the best games of his career. So you've got those three guys that can all play defensive end um, and then any you can slide inside. And that's kind of the question for this defensive front, though, is who can play in the middle? Because J.R. Singleton is a redshirt freshman that played that started the season as nose guard. He got hurt. Then they moved Denny inside. Now they're kind of switching back and forth between another guy, Isaiah Lee. So that's something to watch early on in the game is, is any Rosarike 58 playing inside, playing outside? Because if he's playing outside, then that's it's tough to get on the outside of him just because he's so big. Wazarike, is that right? Yep, you got it. Good. Yeah. Well, as I said, Neil, Neil Brown said, hey, number 58, and I'm not even going to screw up his name. So <laughs> <laughs> he brought him up at the press conference the other day. Really good player, uh, as you mentioned couple of the other guys too mcdonald leading the entire big 12 in sacks right now so west virginia's offensive line is going to have their hands full um hey let's stop talking about how great iowa state is let's let's talk about where they where they stink um special teams is that right is that that's an area that's that's really hurting them right now yeah oh my gosh it's so bad it was i can say past tense now it's been two games straight where they haven't been bad but Early on in the season, I mean, you can look at that Iowa game. They lost the game on special teams. Um, Iowa's punter was incredible. Iowa State's punter was not. Um, they lost a lot of field position due to the punting game, um, and they started a lot of their drives backed up. And against that Iowa defense, if you start backed up, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a bad day. And same thing happened against Baylor. That Baylor game, man. If they they gave up, I believe, you know, what is it, 31 points in the game. 10 of those points came off of special teams errors. They kick, they returned to kickoff in the second half. Um, Iowa State's punter had a terrible punt that then got returned into the red zone. And then Iowa State's defense stood stout and forced a field goal out of it. So this is special teams units, particularly in punting and kickoff return, that has been bad. And they seem to have fixed some of their issues with Andrew Mevis, who is a Fordham graduate transfer. He's played really well for Iowa State. He's now the punter. Um, he punted at Fordham a little bit, but didn't punt to start the season. So now he is punting for Iowa State. He does their field goals, does their kickoffs. So this is someone that has kind of changed the complexion of the special teams unit in recent weeks, where before, you know, they kind of flip-flopped on PATs and field goals, depending on how things were going. They didn't have him punt, but now that the season's progressing, they've got him doing everything. So he's really helped that those units as a whole improve. But it's one of those things where I think even for Iowa State fans, until you see the ball hit the back of the end zone, you're always going to be worried that a big return is going to come because just the unit has not been great this year and it's flipped games for them, which I think is a reason why you see them. You know, I don't think, you know, if you look at those post game win expectancy numbers, the special teams is what swings it. You know, they're supposed to win. They should be undefeated. If you look at those numbers now, granted you play the game and they don't win. So you take that with a grain of salt, but it all comes down to the special teams for them. If they played better on special teams, I think you'd argue that they'd probably be undefeated. All right, big big picture here. Uh, this is a very super serious question. Iowa State five and two. 
How many more wins do they have to get before Matt Campbell ends up on everybody's hot board this offseason? Oh, God. It's already happening. It's already happening. <laughs> I, I feel like it happens every year, right? Every every really, NFL hot board, every Big Ten hot board. It really is. I just roll my eyes at this point because, like, USC, for example, he's not going to USC. He's not going to go live in Southern California. That's not who Matt Campbell is. Matt Campbell's an Ohio guy. Like, he loves the Midwest. And I think – you know, I was asked about it on a, a Sirius XM show a few weeks back about kind of the LSU job. And I'm like, no, you look at Iowa State and he has a, uh, a certain level of almost control where he's got a really good relationship with the athletic director, Jamie Pollard. He doesn't have a bunch of boosters telling him he has to recruit at a certain level. He has to recruit a certain type of person. He gets to do what he wants and he gets to control the program, which I think is all you can ask for as a football coach. And he's different. He's not looking for what's next on the, on the ladder that I can climb. He's really into this kind of developing young men. And he talks about it a lot where he really enjoys the developmental aspect of getting a freshman in redshirting him and then watching him grow over the course of four years. So I think that if there was a job that Matt Campbell would leave for, I look at a few jobs in particular, it's Ohio state, it's Notre Dame, Penn state, maybe like if James Franklin moves on, maybe I'd be a little concerned about Penn state just because I think that might fit him a little bit. But in general, I just laugh sometimes when I see the, the name on the hot board. I also don't think Matt Campbell's an NFL type of guy. Is he going to want to go work with professionals that are making millions of dollars that really aren't going to be into this whole developmental thing? I don't think so. So I, I'm, I'm amused by it. That's what I'll say when it comes to Matt Campbell and, and future jobs. Yeah, I think that, that NFL angle is one that I think a lot of people need to remember because that, that is so, so drastically different. You do go from basically having all the control in the world to having, I don't want to say none, because you are still the head coach of an NFL franchise, but the players have the control in the NFL. It's very different. And um, as for Campbell, right, he did he just get an extension? Wouldn't that, didn't that happen? If God, my time's running yeah. down. Didn't that happen this offseason? Yeah, it did. And I might be wrong. I'd have to go back and look at all at the stories we've done, but I think he's gotten a contract extension each of the last three years. So yeah, I think great agent, great agent. He's his own agent. (laughs) Oh, he is. People. If if you're listening out there, you want to know who's doesn't know what they're talking about. If they say someone's contacted Matt Campbell's agent, they're full of it because he doesn't have an agent. He has people that helps him look over legal documents, but he doesn't have an agent. So yeah, it's interesting. So I think his current contract is through either 2026 or 2028. Um, But it's one of those where as long as he wants to stay in Ames, they'll be happy to have him. That's interesting. I I like that. He's, he's his own agent. There you go. That's extra what 3% for yourself there. Keep keep it to yourself. I like it. Um, All right. I I think that's going to wrap us up for today. Uh, Michael, I, I I don't have any other questions going on. I know we've, we've gotten written form for both of us, you know, my, my written and uh, oral answers to your questions will be on your site. Yours will be on mine. So everybody make sure to check everything out. Um, Michael, tell, tell the fans where they can find all that stuff for you. Yeah, definitely. If you want to follow my Twitter, it's at mswain247 and swain is S-W-A-I-N. And then cyclonealert.com is the website. We'll have all sorts of preview content. We've got some coordinator stuff coming out here probably Thursday morning after we talk to him Wednesday night. So should have a lot of good stuff. All right. Thanks for coming on, Michael. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 